the Chinese just reported some of the worst price numbers in their modern economic history. I'm talking producer prices, factory gate prices, even consumer prices. Where's the deflation? It's everywhere outside of the core consumer price rates in the West that every media outlet source and central banker would like you to focus exclusively on. We can see it in all of these places. The world is rushing headlong into a deflationary recession, yet central bankers say, hey, let's look at core consumer price rates because at least then the economy and the labor market sound resilient enough, at least until the labor market data gets revised even further. I mean, it's performance art at this point. To give you an example of what I mean, let's go back just a couple months to the middle of March. This was the mainstream sense of China reopening, and really the soft landing narrative of which China was a huge part of it. Goldman Sachs has raised its forecast for China's gross domestic product growth this year to 6% from 5.5% on the back of the country's rapid reopening, the investment bank said in a note on Wednesday. Strong recovery in sectors sensitive to the pandemic and broadly improved activity data in the first two months of this year drove the upgraded outlook, Goldman Sachs said in a research note. Again, that was the middle of March, when already by then the markets had told us, including oil markets, this wasn't happening. But the narrative had to move on. China's reopening was going to be great because China's problems in 2022, remember, were all about pandemic politics, unless they weren't. That's why just a couple months later, just a couple months later, the same Goldman Sachs revised their GDP estimates down because of, well, here's what they said in the middle of June. With continued challenges from the property market, pervasive pessimism among consumers and private entrepreneurs, and only moderate policy easing to partially offset the strong growth headwinds that suddenly appeared out of nowhere, apparently, we marked down our 2023 real GDP forecast. They went from 6% down to 5.4%, which was lower than when they upgraded in March. Strong growth headwinds that seemingly came out of nowhere, but they didn't come out of nowhere and they actually have a name. We had the, we had the Chinese and global economy that was weak, not strong, entering the 2023 year, the calendar year, and then deflationary money and a banking crisis, which yielded a credit crunch that is still undermining the weak economy that we started with. So the Chinese are telling us something important, not just about their own internal struggles, but also their global growth headwinds that came about, at least in the mainstream, seemingly out of nowhere in a matter of months. And at the very least, and really this is the least, has completely upended China's economic trajectory for this year and maybe longer. But again, this isn't just about China. We also have data from the U.S., which simply emphasizes and reinforces the point that we're making here. Deflationary recession, globally synchronized nonetheless. But first, I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. If you're interested, Eurodollar University has memberships available, exclusive content where we talk about what a Eurodollar is in theory, what it's supposed to do, the global reserve currency, and why it doesn't seem to be doing what it's actually what, what we needed to do, including what role collateral plays in the monetary system. I just did another classroom video on collateral. We've got a whole series: the collateral multiplier, securities lending, all that stuff, all that really important stuff. 
That's memberships at the Eurodollar University website. I also do research subscriptions. I contribute a daily briefing at Markets Insider Pro and a deep dive analysis at the Eurodollar University website, which we obviously dive deeper into all of these topics, both money as well as macro, how these things fit together or how they don't fit together, how one affects the other. All the information for you, though, memberships as well as research subscriptions at our website, eurodollar.university. For most mainstream sources, it's sort of a heads-I-win-tails-you-lose strategy or, or, or analysis here. Because the weaker China's economy gets unexpectedly, well, that just means more stimulus, right? But as the Goldman Sachs note from just last month mentioned, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of stimulus forthcoming. And there's a reason for that. The Chinese have said, in the face of the 2008-2009 Great Recession that wasn't a recession, and recognizing how it wasn't a recession, they've said, we realize that the global economy is in a very different place now than it had been before 2008, really August 9th of 2007. As such, we're no longer going to use the Keynesian playbook. 2016 was the last chance. That was the last time that China's communist government was willing to go big into stimulus. And there was the entire government was not on board with it. In fact, Xi Jinping has said that you know, he wasn't really in favor of that. Um, Liu He, who was, his, uh, the, was one of the Chinese premiers and one of Xi's favorite lieutenants, um, he authored a series of letters that were reported in the People's Daily, the, the state, uh, state news outlet that were from a, an authoritative source, which were basically from the Chinese government. And they basically said, look, the, the economic circumstances are different. Here's what, the, the, uh, the, uh, here's what Liu reportedly had said in May of 2016 after or actually during that last round of Keynesian stimulus that the Chinese were undertaking. Even if the economy is experiencing a significant downturn, social employment can remain generally stable. However, the issue of leverage is different. High leverage will inevitably bring high risks. Poor control over leverage will lead to a systemic financial crisis and negative economic growth, and even causing ordinary people to lose their savings. This will be disastrous. So the Chinese have prioritized what was then codified and put into the Chinese constitution in 2017 during the 19th Party Congress as common prosperity, really Xi Jinping thought, they, they call it quality economic growth over quality or quantity economic growth. So quality over quantity, which means we're going to let the economy do what it's going to do and just try to avoid as much downside as possible, what I call managed decline. And the key part of managed decline isn't the managed part, it's the decline. That's what explains the weakness, the overall background baseline weakness in China's economy in 2022, more than zero COVID. It was about the lack of actual recovery outside of consumer prices in the global economy. And this has been the same going back to 2008 and 2009. The economy gets knocked down, the global economy gets knocked down, and it doesn't come back up. So what do you do about it? Well, the Chinese initially, Keynesian stimulus. Now they've said, we're not going to do that anymore because we have a major debt problem. And because they have a major debt problem, China's economy is more dependent than ever on external growth for its own condition. And external growth just isn't happening either. 
So for the month of June, the National Bureau of Statistics reported consumer prices, producer prices, factory gate prices, and they were all just as ugly, if not uglier, than they have been. China's CPI for the month of June, another negative, minus 0.2% month over month, which is the fifth consecutive decline in China's CPI. Ever since January, that one-month reprieve, the first month of reopening, it's been downhill ever since. And it's been downhill so much that China's CPI is now 0.0% year over year, flat year over year, even though food prices are up 2.3% in that time, despite a large drop in pork, overall food prices are up 2.3%, yet China's CPI is flat 0.0% year over year. X food and energy, it's 0.4% year over year. So there's there's no inflation in China because of weak demand. And how weak is a 0% CPI? Well, there's only three months in 2021 that were negative that are worse. So essentially, essentially, China's CPI was the lowest it had been, the fourth lowest it had been since 2009. That's how serious the situation is over in China. But it's much, much worse on the producer side. And the producer side, obviously, external demand, overcapacity. China's PPI, down another 0.8% month over month in June. That's the third straight decline in five out of the last seven, but in the, the other two out of the five last seven were zero. So really over the last seven months, producer prices are at best flat and most months falling, falling relatively at a relatively solid pace. Year over year, China's PPI is now down 5.4%. That's worse than any month in 2020. That's the worst since December of 2015, and it's getting into the same low, low territory as December, last couple months of 2015. And with another monthly decline, we'll be worse than 2015, or China will be worse than 2015, going back all the way to 2009. So producer prices are already in the same territory as the worst of what we call Euro dollar number three, the global depression in 20, 2015 and 2016, that began in 2014. And, and producer prices is getting to be as low as they were in 2008 and 2009. That's what China's prices are telling you about the global economy. And it's even worse when we talk about factory gate prices. So China's PPI are prices leaving the factory, goods that have been assembled and manufactured. The factory gate prices are materials coming in, not just commodities, but all sorts of other materials and pre-assembly pre products. China's factory gate prices in the month of June, minus 1.1% just in June, another big monthly decline. And that's the third straight negative, and six out of the last seven months have been negative, with the seventh, again, just being zero. On a yearly basis, minus 6.5% year over year. So like the PPI, we're seeing numbers that we have rarely seen out of China, and they correspond only to some of the worst economic conditions of the last four or five decades, around the rest of the world. So China's prices, deflationary, highly deflationary on producer prices because the global economy is experiencing more and more deflationary forces, more and more globally synchronized deflationary recession, even if we can't see it in the US core PCE deflator or the European core HICP, because that's looking at the wrong economic statistic. These are forward-looking, Core PCE deflator or core consumer price numbers are at best backward looking when they're more statistical than anything else. 
So where China is expected to do something, at least in the mainstream Western narrative, it's about their unemployment problem. Because as Liu He said as the authoritative source in 2016, we're okay tolerating a downturn if employment is largely stable. And China's overall unemployment rate has been stable to improving, but at the expense of its youth unemployment rate. Youth unemployment has moved up higher and higher and higher to the point that it was in the month of May at a record level. We'll get the June statistics coming up in a week or so. But either way, the idea is that China's economy is getting so, so it's getting worse and worse and worse to the point that Beijing will have to do something. It's forcing Chinese officials off the sidelines and back into the Keynesian textbook, at least according to the mainstream narrative. That's the heads I win, tails you lose philosophy. China's reopening is either great or if it's not great, it will be great because of stimulus. When the Chinese government has said, number one, stimulus is off the table. We're not doing that anymore. We're at best doing modest measures, targeted measures at most. And number two, they're not convinced China's economy is in a bad place just yet. They've con consistently said they're going to be patient about reopening, which is obviously a huge mistake. So by the time, assuming that China actually does do something about their economic situation, it's going to be far too late for them to have much of an impact anyway, assuming there would be much of an impact in the first place. The reason the Chinese are struggling so much, as we've said before, globally synchronized, and here's the frightening part. We look at the United States, the U.S. economy data that we're continuing to get, Today, it was wholesale sales and inventories. And what we see out of those numbers isn't the worst stage of the recession. It's merely the opening stage, that continued shallow recession trajectory that eventually, like the labor market, gives way and goes off a cliff. But that shallow negative trajectory in the U.S. and European economies are already creating this deflationary havoc in producers in places like China, where there are lots of producers so the data we got from U.S. today, wholesale inventories and wholesale sales. Again, shallow negative trajectory, not the big decline that we're waiting to see. Sales were down 0.17% month over month. These are in nominal terms. It's a third straight decline after, after, um, after April's uh, modest gain was revised away. So now we have three straight negatives three straight monthly negatives. So that's March, April, and May in wholesale sales. And that was after a huge decline in March in wholesale sales anyway. So wholesale sales fell off and they have continued to go lower. Inventories were flat, though we already knew that uh, from the advanced estimates, but inventories were 0.0% month over month after being down two months in a row in April and May. But that was mostly because of motor vehicles. If you take out motor vehicles, which are motor vehicle inventories are rising finally after the supply shock disappeared. Motor vehicles, ex excluding motor vehicles and in inventories, they're down 0.1%. That's the sixth consecutive monthly decline in wholesale inventories. And the reason is as sales have fallen off and inventories haven't come down nearly as much, the inventory to sales ratio at 1.405 in May is just fractionally above the, the high, the, the recent high in March, which was 1.407. And these numbers, I mean, these are the highest for wholesale inventory to sales since April, May, and June of 2020 and January 2009. That's it. 
So wholesalers are getting stuck with tremendous amounts of inventory because the retailers are not able to sell as much as they would like. As we've seen in the PCE personal spending and income data, even nominal spending is declining and decelerating. It's decelerating more than declining. And because it is, it's leaving too much inventory all throughout the economy that's stacking up at wholesalers and wholesalers who haven't yet taken the big adjustments. They haven't yet said, we're going to really start cutting our inventories. But even so, making these modest adjustments to inventories, it's leaving producers in Europe, in Japan, and especially China to face these strong growth headwinds, as Goldman Sachs called them. So as the U.S. economy and the U.S. inventory problem gets even worse over the months ahead, wholesalers are going to make it even worse for the Chinese and other producers around the world. We're go they're going to tell them, we can't sell your stuff, so we don't need any more. Our inventories are so out of, align out of alignment to begin with. And so the shallow trajectory through into the deflationary recession at some point becomes more than shallow, becomes much worse. And so as I said, the most frightening aspect of all of this right now is China is showing these severe levels of deflation, especially on the producer side, but also on the brink on the consumer side, when we haven't even seen the worst of the possible deflationary pressures yet. So these strong global growth headwinds aren't all that strong just yet. And they're creating more of a reverse bullwhip effect than otherwise you might think, or what you've been led to think, considering our, our, what we're supposed to be focused exclusively on core PCE deflators and core consumer prices. Where is the deflation? Where is the globally synchronized deflationary recession? The Chinese just reported it in their June price statistics. I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. As always, huge thank you, Eurodollar University research subscribers, Markets Insider Pro research subscribers, and of course, all our Eurodollar University members. Until next time, take care.